After just over four months of waiting since pre-season testing ended, the first race of the 2020 Formula 1 season is upon us, with the Austrian Grand Prix kicking off a rapid-fire run of six races in seven weekends. As always, Gary Anderson will be bringing his unique insight, founded on almost half a century of being involved in F1 from all of these events, starting with this season preview podcast. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and as always, we have an opening question for you, Gary, to warm you up. Uh, this one comes from David Miles, and it's appropriate because he asks, what's your best and worst memory of the first race of a season? Well, I've sort of got two, really, I suppose. Um, worst memory... Or one of the bad memories is 91 with Jordan, obviously, um, pre-qualifying. We had to get through pre-qualifying, and, and uh, Andrea de Cesaris didn't make it through because of a, a sensor that fell off the back of a, a camshaft on the engine the far end of the circuit. So he didn't, he didn't pre-qualify, and that was really disappointing because we'd had such good testing and everything was in, in, in good shape, and Andrea was, you know, was on top of it at that point in time. But you just had to be there in the last five minutes of pre-qualifying to do it, and unfortunately he wasn't. But the other one is um, is Stuart in 99. Um, again, we had a good car, qualified reasonably well on the grid, and um, both cars basically caught fire on the grid. Uh, so you're sitting there watching all the cars on the grid, and the smoke starts bellowing up from the two Stuarts. And the race was, uh, the start was aborted. Um, and it ended up, it was, it, was a, it was an oil gallery pipe, a carbon fiber pipe that went down the, the bottom of the heads of the engine. And basically, Cosworth had got them made by a different supplier for the race engines. And they were made out of a different material, and they wouldn't stand the heat from the exhaust system. Bit of our fault. It should have been shielded better. You know, same old thing. If somebody had told you they were making them differently, you might have tested it differently. We had done all the all the pre-race procedures um, before earlier. You know, in the season or earlier in testing to make sure nothing like that happened, and it was all fine. And then suddenly on the grid. Um, but also that was one of the best ones because both cars were pushed off the grid. We got Rubens into the the spare car fairly quickly. He went out at the end of the pit lane and ended up finishing fourth. So from a disaster, it turned out to be reasonably good because, you know, in reality, we, we shouldn't have been able to have started the, uh, the spare car at that point in time. But it all happened and it was done. And so from two cars being pushed off the grid before the race started to finishing fourth was, I suppose, in one race was uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, that's, uh, that's called a good recovery. We don't see that so much anymore, but uh, it used to be a not uncommon sight to have cars falling apart before the, uh, before the start of a race. I guess very occasionally we have it. It's all it's all got a bit too, you know, press the buttons and, you know, mundane about it all. So much preparation, so much money goes into simulation and doing all sorts of stuff nowadays. I mean, it will happen. Maybe Austria is the time for it to start to happen again. But um, it doesn't happen as often as it used to, no. Well, of course, it's the Austrian Grand Prix we're going to be looking ahead to as well as the, the, whole, the whole season. I mean, in, in general terms, what is the first race of a, of a season like? For a team, what specific challenges are there? Even setting aside the unique problems of, of this year, just a normal first race of the season is pretty stressful, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a bit more stressful to be honest, because it's it's now heading into July um, before you do your first race. So, you know, a good three months have passed since the cars turned the wheel. Um, so it's it's one of those sort of things where it's a bit of a long distant memory that pre season testing as to how you sort of operated and how you do everything. But the first race has always been one of those where you, you never quite know, you know, until Saturday afternoon, you never quite know where you are. It can be, um, you had fantastic pre-season testing and you know yourself, you were probably running a little bit lighter fuel, all that sort of stuff mounts up. But comes Saturday afternoon, the weather conditions being, all things being equal, you'll end up finding out pretty quickly. And that, and that's really where you start. So, you know, this is like placing, you know, the first square down on a, 
on a chair or moving your first uh, man on a, on a chessboard, this is the start of where you're going to get to. Um, whether you, you had the greatest preseason testing or not, you've still got to get to that first race. It's everybody else. It's not you. Whereas everybody else is the important thing. And Saturday afternoon is the time that we'll uh, we'll find out. And obviously, the added complication is the the situation they're in. We've got this kind of ghost town paddock. I mean, there'll still be 800 team personnel in there because each team's allowed 80 in total. Uh, but how how difficult do you think that would be? How awkward would it be to have to wear the face masks all the time to have the social distancing in mind? Obviously, within each team bubble, the bubbles they've been referred to. Uh, they actually call them groups, but each team group is separate and then they've got subgroups within it. So if somebody is suspected of having COVID-19 or test positive, you might only lose four people off your off your team while they're being tested and checked rather than everyone. So there's all these things you've got to have in your mind while you're actually trying to do quite a difficult job, actually with a car that's still for the mechanics is quite unfamiliar, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we all, well, I wear a mask a fair amount now. But um, it's it is an uncomfortable and uneasy thing to do. Um, I think you get used to it a bit more the more you wear it. Um, and I've been having some work done at the house here with putting in a, a heat pump system, so I've had workers in the house. So they've been wearing masks. I've been wearing masks during those hot days, and it's uncomfortable. But as I say, you, you probably get used to it a little bit more as as time goes by. Um, but it's just it's just always it's the unknown. Whenever the car has a problem, something comes in, you know, comes into the pits or you know, anything happens, a misfire or anything silly happens. That's the time whenever your normal procedures get tested dramatically and, and people jump in to try and do stuff to get the car fixed again. So you've got to really control it. And I think, they'll, you know, normally we have a chief mechanic who sort of oversees the mechanical side of the car, but we probably need a, a chief coronavirus controller, you know, in the garage to actually remind the guys that, you know, your enthusiasm might overpower your uh, your conscience of, of staying away from each other so you need you need somebody overseeing that picture for each car just to make sure that they're told what if they're acceptable what's going on is acceptable or if they need to um just police it a little bit better uh, you can't do it because you know everybody's got their own their own intention everybody's got their own opinion of what they should be getting on with so they're jumping in there and trying fixing it but you need somebody that's going to be have that global view on each car to make sure that people do stay separated quite a bit so there'll be more ranks i think of uh ranks of management on the way controlling coronavirus than there will be actually of getting the car on the track well more management always speeds the car up doesn't it and makes things easier so that that won't cause any complications but it, it is interesting because it's not just going to be when they're in the garage or in the paddock it's going to be when they're in the hotels because if somebody is confirmed as infected with COVID-19 those who've been exposed to them so it's kind of this 15 minutes of exposure less than two meters and all, all that kind of thing so if there is something not only will you have at least one person taken out, plus those connected with him. There'll be all this working out who's been where, who outside of the subgroup might have been affected, which subgroups have got near to each other. So it could, you know, if this happens, say, on a Saturday morning, Cyril Abitable, the Renault team principal, was talking about this. This could, it could keep a car or even two cars in the worst case scenario out of sessions and qualifying. It could create confusion with one car being out and the other one not and while you're trying to prepare for a qualifying session so there's only a two-hour gap between fp3 and qualifying you could have all this going on and someone running around trying to work out the compliance stuff and you know if you feel they're trying to run the car and uh and and just get it right you've got all this nonsense sort of going on which is obviously really important but so, some team will be the first to encounter this won't they they'll be whether it be that or whether there's some high pressure thing they need to do we know it takes longer to change engines etc just do all the normal things so 
it's going to be quite interesting to see how people respond, particularly if it's a really pressure point moment of the weekend. Yeah, pressure point moment between you know Saturday morning um, free practice and qualifying, for example. I mean, that's the time whenever you, you do have a limited amount of time and a lot of work to do. It'll be interesting, as I say, to see, because I'm pretty sure somebody, or I'll be really surprised if one team doesn't suffer those consequences, or at least one car group doesn't suffer those consequences, or think they've got those consequences happening at, at some point in time. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how a team does react to that, and how and how Formula One in, in general reacts to that, if you know what I mean, because it's it's one of the things that could make or break this recovery Um by you know, a couple of teams or three teams having that problem on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning before the race. So I think they've got to be um, experienced maybe that before they actually know how they're going to react to it. I, I think that you know, F1 teams are pretty clever people. Um, I say that loosely because I was involved in it, but um, it, most, most F1 teams have got pretty clever people there. So I'm sure they will do this social distancing as best possible. But, you know, we've seen that uh, on building sites, they've even got this alarm system now. If you get within two metres of another alarm system, you um, a buzzer goes off on a, a thing on your headset, for example, it could be. Now, I'd be disappointed if some Formula 1 teams haven't exploited that sort of thing because they all wear headsets, they all wear radios. So all it needs is some sort of a sensor to say if you get within two metres or a metre, a metre's meter, a meter very safe unless the other guy's coughing his head off. Um, so get within a metre of somebody else, which, you know, that means you can have quite a lot of people around a car and your headset buzzes or does something. Um, so if they haven't incorporated that into a radio system, because all the radios are different, they can have different frequencies and all that sort of stuff, then I'd be disappointed if one team or more than one team hasn't done something of that nature. So it's going to be about trying to manage that situation and just keep people apart, trying to minimise the risk level. And as you say, hotels, you know, they're going to be able to have a beer at night, but they have to sit apart. There's, some of the teams are having taken fitness people with them. They normally do, but you know, more dedicated fitness programmes with them so that they don't get too bored between the races um, and do things that they shouldn't do. So there'll be a gym routine and a, a training routine, probably go out running, you know, again, one or two metres apart. So... There's a lot of different activities going to take place, I think, whenever these the teams are away at the races. But as you say, it's you know it's 800 people from 10 teams, so it's a lot of people. It'll be interesting to see how efficient they are on contingencies because m- mentioning these these subgroups, they've got you know you've got two cars in the garage. Most of the cars generally from the teams we've spoken to have suggested the, the cars are sort of separate groups, so they avoid much sort of cross pollination there. But obviously you'll have been working through contingencies that you think, all right, well, if that subgroup's taken out for a session, how can we redeploy what we've got in order to still run and operate? You can stretch people across cars and that kind of thing. So that'll be quite interesting to see which teams have got the best contingency plans. It'll take a lot of managing. And as I say, the thing is with the tests as well, you know, the results are an instant. So you can do the test, but it's it's there is a, a time, from what I know, there is a couple of days when you could have it, but actually not test positive for it. So it's those couple of days that are the critical ones because that's the day, that's the time you could be passing it on to other people um, without acting and affecting you so much. So uh, there is, it's going to be a massive learning curve. I mean, you know, if you look at the rest of the world um, where they're opening up places and whatever, it's it's not easy. I mean, they're, they're monitoring it dramatically, but suddenly you'll get these, you know, rising rising people that have actually got it suddenly out of the blue, um, and that's the thing you've got to try and stop. You know, 800 people, as you say, coming back 
you know, from these three races, maybe we test it all okay when they're on their way back and all proved okay. But, you know, that's mixing those 800 people may have three people at home. So, you know, that's 2,400 people suddenly. You know, you multiply it up like that and suddenly you see the potential of a, a massive problem. So the testing has to be done, you know, before they leave. If there's any question, you don't go. The testing has to done, be done before you come home. And if there's any question, you definitely have to go into self-isolation. So, you know, I hope that they address those two ends of the problem as opposed to just looking at the middle of it. The middle of it is the motor racing. That's fine. But the two ends of it are a bigger, a bigger story, a bigger picture than just that middle bit, which is motorsport. They'll just control those two ends, make sure the testing's done then, and I think you'll, you'll probably get away with it okay. Yeah, certainly the provisions seem to be quite rigorous, so uh, yeah, let's hope it, it works out. Well, let's actually talk about the, the on-track stuff, uh, Gary. I don't know if we can uh, think back this far, but about almost four months to the day, we were sat in the, the reception area of an IBIS doing our uh, post-test testing podcast. Uh, we thought Mercedes probably had the edge, although... It perhaps wasn't the most definitive picture we've ever had in, in pre-season testing. So uh, have you still got in mind that it's it's going to be a, um, a Mercedes's favourites or do you think that the change to the Red Bull ring might shift the balance or progress might have even happened? Well, I'm sure there has been progress. Um, you know, there's been a collective group of clever people, um, I say, sitting at home with nothing to do. Um, they've been able to just do some head-scratching time which is never, you know, it's never a bad thing to sometimes get away from it a little bit. I mean, I, whenever I was involved, I was always trying, I was always involved sort of on the cliff face, which is what I like to do. But the reality of it is that every time I was able to step back a bit, get some time away, you did get time to think and straighten your head out a little bit and think of stuff. So that period of three months or four months, as we, as we say, will have um, allowed that, that sort of, deep understanding of what you've got and where you are with your car without the pressure of having to do something for tomorrow. You know, there wasn't any pressure of, of having to do something, you know, for the development parts for next week because they weren't happening. So I think you, you will see progress from the setup, um, pr- the setup type of style of the car. People will change the setup style of the car to optimize it around what the, how the car functions. Um, and, you know, it's, every team has got a group of people that sort of, will be playing with simulations um, whether they're at work or away from work doesn't really matter you know they'll be looking at all the different ways that they can get more, more out of that car and i think you know i like the red bull car at the red bull te- and pre-season testing yes mercedes were fastest but i you know i have a bit of a want to see somebody else taking the competition to mercedes as well so i'm i'm a little bit not biased against mercedes but i want to see somebody being competitive and what i saw from the red bull there I thought was pretty good. So I would like to see, and I think they will be competitive for, um, against Mercedes. Um, and for the championship, you know, I have my money on Max Verstappen because he's he's going into this season with a very clear head. The first race of the season is in Austria. Um, he's won there two times in a row now. This will be his third. Um, it's their home circuit. So, they're you know, everybody's all up for it. So... I would hope to see that Red Bull can give them the tools to do the job there because that's where Red Bull have fallen apart in the last few seasons. They haven't started the season strongly. So they need to give them the tools to do the job in Austria. If he does that, then I think the competition during the season will be pretty good. Well, it was Red Bull Ring where Red Bull really got their act together last season, wasn't it? They'd had a series of upgrades in the both at the Red Bull Ring and the few races before that, and then uh, they went out and won. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people have said that 
they thought it could go against Mercedes starting at the Red Bull ring because Red Bull has won there the last two years. But I, personally, I think that's a slight. I, I don't think that's the way to look at it because the Mercedes the last two years there've been very good reasons why they haven't won there. Twenty eighteen, they were fastest running one two. Strategy problems, unreliability cost them. In twenty nineteen, they they couldn't. They had just had to throttle back literally because. It was six degrees or so too warm for them. They'd made a mistake with the cooling calculations when they were designing the car. So actually, I think this is a positive because it means if if Red Bull do go there and say Max Verstappen wins both races of the of the, of the two at the Red Bull ring, I don't think it's going to be a case of, well, this is a Red Bull circuit, so of course they were going to be helped. I think actually that, that would mean Mercedes has got a hell of a fight on its hands. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the thing about Mercedes as well, the last two seasons, as you say, they had good solid reasons for not you know, being right there. Um, and whenever that happens, it also means that the team try to work out why. You know, okay, the cooling last year was one, was a was a typical example. You know, they've worked out why the Mercedes engine department have worked very hard on, on, on getting the, t- the engine to put out heat, less heat into the, into the water system, um, which means you get more, more power at the rear wheels. You know, the team has worked hard to try and get better cooling on the car without a cost of aerodynamic um, performance. So um, everybody's worked to suit that scenario, which makes, means that you have a better car whenever you actually go to that same track the next time. So I, I think that the, the competition will be tough. I don't think there's any hiding place. There should be no excuses, to be honest. The, the reasons are well known um, from, as you say, 2018, 2019, that Mercedes didn't do well. They should have addressed all those reasons. The car's quick enough. Um, so the competition, I think, is real. It's not just, as you say, it's not Red Bull circuit and we get that extra, you know, 20, get 20 kilograms of fuel or because it's Red Bull. Um, you know, it is a genuine race that's going there with time for everybody to clear their head, get the best out of the package they've got. They understand the package they've got because it's a long time ago that that car ran in, in uh, pre-season testing in Barcelona. So nobody will go there, should go there with the excuse of, we weren't really prepared. You should be prepared. This this time lapse will have given every time to prepare properly. Um, and there is time for things to be, have been made and done, developments between the pre-season testing finishing and the, basically everybody going into lockdown. So we'll see those bits on the car. I think you know we're going to go, go into this first race of this season with more equal performance from teams than ever before because you know the first race of the season normally comes just too early for everybody yeah exactly and and we will see lots of new bits on the car mercedes has said they've got a chunk of upgrades Renault have confirmed they've basically got a set of three sets of upgrades that were planned for for three earlier season races for spain vietnam and uh, the dutch grand prix they they were originally intending to have those obviously there'll be bits that teams will have taken to the australian grand prix that we didn't necessarily see because we didn't get beyond thursday in australia so there's uh, there's a huge amount of potential for things to shift. And of course, a lot of this R&D work and design work was being done over the winter. So that was happening. They had a shutdown for 63 days, but I think it's over 100 days since Australia. So the factories have been open and, and firing. And although the factories aren't full because they've had to spread people out a bit, a lot of the design uh, design people can can work from home and are and are still contributing. So it's interesting to see how that impacts things. Before we get into the drivers, we should probably bring in Ferrari as well, because they didn't look great in pre- in pre-season testing. We saw a few hints they were a bit better on the longer run pace, but I think the the feeling that is that Ferrari is is playing catch up and you know four months have passed who knows, but chances are they probably are still going to be playing that game of catch up, aren't they? Yeah, I think, you know, from what we saw 
you know, a year ago they were sort of dominant and we thought, right, okay, they're going to conquer the world and it didn't happen whenever they got to the first race. So, you know, unless they're very clever in trying to hide their performance and stay out of trouble at the pre-season testing, you know, it's, it's unknown. But I would, I think that Ferrari will probably start the season as normal where they're like maybe half a second or knocking on the door of half a second um, slower than than the, the top teams, which I think will be Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, it's always hard to predict these sort of things because, again, they might have found the magic bullet during this this break. You know, there's talk about finding 15 to, to 40 horsepower. You know, if they can find out, that's going to be an advantage. Um, but, I, you know, you have to see it on the track, and that's why I'm saying we, we will not really genuinely know where anybody is until Saturday afternoon in qualifying in Austria. Because that that is when the chips will be down. That's when all this little bits of development the teams will have done will have been put on the car. So I, I don't see personally. I don't see any big change in the running order of the top three. Uh, I think it'll still be the top three. I think that for me, Red Bull will take the fight to Mercedes. I'm not saying they'll just beat Mercedes, but I'm saying they'll take the fight to Mercedes. And I think Ferrari will get left behind in that third position again. But that's from what we've seen before. But that, as you say, that is a hundred and so some odd days ago. So lots of things can change in a hundred days in Formula One. So let's have a look at the the drivers. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton is a title favourite. He's an all time great driver, going for the seventh title. So his his credentials as ultimately his title favourite speak for themselves, don't they? But in terms of the challengers, I guess it's Max Verstappen who's the one that we're currently looking to because we we want to see a battle between two different teams as well, not just teammates. Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, Max and, and Lewis having a good, solid battle, um, bringing in the Red Bull and the Mercedes would be would be a great a great thing to see. Also, you know, hopefully Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel, Bottas, um, Albon. You know, maybe they can all join that club because you know I rate Albon quite highly. He's he's, he's not had an, an opportunity to to you know learn about Formula One at all. He's been dropped in the deep end pretty quickly, so he needs time to chill out and get himself to mentally be a Formula 1 driver. He'll have had that opportunity now, so I'm expecting him to do a pretty good job. Um, Bottas, you could probably look at it and say this is his last opportunity um, to to show his true potential in, in a top front in a frontline car. You know, he's he's done well over the last couple of seasons, but he's not done exceptionally well, and he's not done done well consistently. And he needs to, to prove that's, that's, that's not so anymore. You know, for him to continue in that position, he needs to win races consistently. He needs to beat Lewis Hamilton consistently, whether it be in qualifying on a Saturday and carrying it through to the race or not. Um, you know, without doubt, if you take number ones in the teams these days, you know, Lewis is number one at Mercedes, Verstappen's number one at Red Bull, and Leclerc now is number one at, at Ferrari. That is fact, you know, and, and the choices or any bits and pieces, if there's one of them, that's who will get those good bits without doubt. So you're always going to play a little bit of catch-up if you're the number two. But also you can sort of um, let it all go a little bit. You can you know, just do your job, a bit like Weber and and, uh, and uh, Vettel at Silverstone. You know, when Weber came on the radio after the race and said, not bad for a number two. That's the sort of attitude, you know. Just all you can do is your job, drive the wheels off it, and you look in the mirrors and hopefully you see your teammate at the end of the race. Um, that's That's a good feeling. So I think they'll all be trying to do that, but um, it's going to be close competition. The, the, the Vettel Leclerc thing is one that I want to see pan out because Vettel's got nothing to lose. You know, he's moving on, um, and I think is you know the part of Ferrari team that still 
supports Vettel quite a lot, quite highly. You know, uh, he's he's not done a bad job for them. He's made a lot of mistakes, but they're all they're all mistakes you can list if you want to list them. And that my criticism of Vettel has been that he hasn't done anything about those mistakes. He's kept making them. Um, maybe he's learned that lesson now, and maybe he'll tidy it all up a little bit. What's it like when a driver is on their way out of a team? We know that, although it was presented as they couldn't reach agreement, it's more Ferrari not wanting Vettel than Vettel not wanting to be at Ferrari. So he knows where he stands. He knows they've backed Leclerc as the future. What's it like when you're in a team and you've got a driver who's on the way out in terms of the atmosphere, the working environment? How will that impact things? And, and what, what do you see that triggers in the driver? Well, it's, it's a funny thing because I, you know, I've never been with a top team with that sort of problem where you had top-line drivers that were um, you know, going for championships, going for race wins, who were always in the midfield, mingling around there. So you never really paid any attention to it. You know, you never, teams I was with in reality, we never knew going into the end of the season if either of the drivers that we had would like to continue next year. The deals were always done pretty late, depending upon who had the most money to bring you. So it's a different environment for me, all that stuff. But I would think that the the fact that Vettel needs to go out, he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't done what he set out at Ferrari. So Vettel's going to be putting in a hundred and one percent effort if that's physically possible, both in trying to develop the car and in trying to uh, win get get race wins and even the championship. And on the way there, beat his teammate. Now I think that's one of the things that his experience, his depth, he could do. You know, he, as you say, his pace, his pace hasn't suddenly gone away overnight. And he's got to go out either proving that they made the wrong decision, letting him go, and that would be by winning the championship and, and winning more races than anybody else to, to win the championship, or uh, proving that they shouldn't let him go because he's very good at making the car better, even for Charles Leclerc to, to go on and do well. So he, he's, he's got a nothing-to-lose a nothing situation. Um, he's leaving now and he's got to prove he's a good guy because if he does all that and he has he has gone from Ferrari then somebody else will pick him up and say oh you know we can't miss this bloke he's he's just too good so he's driving for his future whether he wants a future in Formula 1 or not it's a different story I mean maybe he's just wanting to go back and play with the kids he's you know he's got some of them now whereas when he started Formula 1 he didn't so that brings a whole new dynamic into it but I think he'll be given it 100% to either win the championship Win more races than Charles Leclerc, beat more Charles Leclerc more occasions than Leclerc will beat him, and or prove that he can develop the car and learn from his mistakes of the past. Yeah, I think not having the weight of Ferrari on his shoulders could potentially allow him to be back to back to his best. And you know, I think the way he approaches the season will tell us a lot about what his intentions are because currently we we don't know. But he didn't look to me like someone at the back end of last season who was on his way out. So. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's going to go into this thinking, right, I'm going to show him and then leave uh, my head held high. So that, that's kind of one of the reasons why it'd be great if Ferrari's able to fight for the championship because that, that creates this extra wild card in, in Vettel, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, whatever you think on the difference, last year, you know, Charles Leclerc threw it in the wall. Everybody said, oh, he's new. You know, he's learning about it. Everything he's doing is, you know, it's a new new experience for him. I mean, back high, back high wasn't it, in qualifying. I think he put it in the wall a few times, a few occasions where, he made an error. It was because he was new, and uh, um, you know it shouldn't happen. Vettel made an error, and it was you know he made a mistake, and and he, you know he should learn by those. He's an experienced driver, so a completely different um, dynamic between the two. The way the team would look at the two drivers, but the reality of it is, as you say, the the reason it's happening to either of them is the pressure of Ferrari. So 
at the end of the day, the, the incidents and accidents were the same. Yes, Leclerc has an experience on his side. Vettel has experience on his side, but still, the pressure of Ferrari can get to anybody. Yeah, it's interesting to see how that impacts things. Uh, before we get on to the, the, the midfield runners out of the group of seven teams, just have a, a quick look at the, the whole development picture because we have got this condensed season. We know we're starting with eight races over basically it's a 10 weekends, isn't it? So it's rapid fire. How do you think that's going to impact the rate of development, not just in terms of how much time it takes to design and test and sign off pieces, but also the amount of time there is to absorb the data and understand the car Plus, you've got this extra dimension of some teams don't really know where they are budget-wise. Haas have already said they're basically on development freeze. They've, they're not going to have new parts. They've gone to minimal aero testing and design work because they don't know what their budget's going to be because the income level is, is not fixed. So how all over the place do you expect sort of the development side of things to be? Yeah, I think it will be a bit randomly. Uh, I mean, the big teams will still have the money. You know, They've got deep pockets whenever it comes to, uh, to just setting a program out and keeping that program, you know, going. Um, and that, that, you know, that program in general will be set out quite a long time ago, even before this coronavirus um, panic. But it's, it's one of those things where not all developments that you put on the car actually works. It can change the car's characteristics, but they don't always work from square one, even for, you know, the big teams, even for Mercedes or for Red Bull or for, for Ferrari, they don't always work on the track and they don't always do what you think you should do. So for a team like, like Haas, who, Last year, got caught up in the development stages of their car. You know, they they, they developed the car badly, but didn't recognise it quickly enough. Um, I think standing back and just getting the best out of what you got with rapid fire races is is a decent plan. You know, I would suggest that for a team, a midfield team, you need to get through these these first two batches of races. Is you know they're they're pretty quick and fast, but make sure you go into the track with a car that you know how to get the best out of it. And not have stuff on there that's that's potentially you know five hundredths of a second faster, but in reality, if you don't get the best out of it, it's two tenths of a second slower, and that can that can definitely up your season because these first races, you know, this first batch of three races are very important to get some points on the board and and know where you are. And by that time, then the season will unfold a little bit. We'll get a longer calendar, I'm sure, or potentially a longer calendar, so they can start to. Uh, understand a little bit of how much money they might bring in during the season and you know how much of i'm not going to say how much of a profit you're going to make i'd say how much of a loss you're not going to make so you know they need to address it the correct way and and developments do cost you lots and lots of money but you don't always get something out of them so for smaller teams i'd say hold fast get your head down work on the car you've got understand the car you've got and make sure come saturday afternoon and sunday afternoon you get the best out of possible and you get to the checkered flag and you will you will get some good points. That's a great irony, isn't it? Some of them might actually benefit from not throwing bits and pieces at the uh, at the car. Well, let's have a look at that that midfield battle, say a group of seven teams, racing point, the pink Mercedes as we called it. That was the that was the team that was leading the way. McLaren, Renault, maybe even Alpha Tauri, uh, also kind of thereabouts. Are you still expecting Racing Point to be up front? And how concerning is it to hear things like McLaren's financial question marks? Obviously, Renault have said they're committed, but until they've signed on the dotted line, we don't know. So that that midfield is is the group of teams that's more likely to be impacted by the financial concerns, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, obviously, they're, they're racing teams that live for uh, the, the income to, to exist, really. They, they need the, the income, the prize money, whatever. Whereas the top guys, the bigger guys, they've got a, a slightly different amount of income coming in from their 
deep-pocketed owners as such. But the thing about it is it's, it's, it's just competition, isn't it? Um, McLaren, with their financial problems, um, is everybody has the financial problems. It's just McLaren's financial problems because of what they are, their technology center, the way they run, the manpower, the whole organization. It's huge. And when you have a percentage financial problem, it becomes huge as well, whereas others can manage it. Racing Point, for example, they're a small team still. So although they have financial problems, they're still, you know, you can you can write about them in one sheet of paper. It doesn't take 10 sheets of paper to go through it all and add it all up. So the the level is still the same. The percentage level of, of uh, financial control um, is still the same sort of thing. So I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for, for McLaren and, and their, their financial state at the moment because... They're the ones that should be doing something about that. You know, they, they run a team, as does Racing Point. So going into this season from, from fourth downwards, um, it's the challenge that I suppose you could say now, you know, McLaren in the last few years did very badly at not being fourth in the championship consistently uh, for, the, for what they were. But now they're probably going to be very similar as far as their effort level and finances is concerned to the others that are competing for that fourth place in the championship. So the competition is going to be tougher and harder. And I think you're right, the, the McLaren, Renault, Alfa Tori, everybody there basically uh, should probably have a shot at it if they can start the season well. Even even down to Williams, you know. Why not? Why, why shouldn't they have built a better car than they had last year? Will it move them all the way up to fourth? No, I don't think so. But if it moves them into that battle, then suddenly motivation changes for everybody. Um, but going into it from what we know right now, the, the pink Mercedes um, of Racing Point should be on top of the pile, at least initially, um, because they're very confident in the, the direction that the car took them as to a completely different direction and, and, and returning better returns for their development program. So they should be on top of all that, that pile, to be honest. If they're not, then they've, they're, they're, not, they're not going to pick it up during the season because they'll have lost their way as far as the, the, the company philosophy over the last few years has been by changing to the Mercedes direction of, of development. Yeah, and certainly from everything the team's been saying, we spoke to Andrew Green, the pre-season testing, didn't we? and he, he was fairly happy with the car, was doing everything they wanted it to. We know they haven't, they're not going to be having massive amount of upgrades. There are upgrade packages, and I presume we'll see a bit of that in, in Austria, but it, it just looks like they should, they're, they're the ones that should have the nice stable package that just, just works because they seem to understand it. So... You know, big opportunity for them, and I guess that then puts the the pressure on uh, on Lance Stroll in the second seat, doesn't it? We know what Sergio Perez can do. Need to see that Stroll can bring that together. He's an interesting driver, isn't he? Because he's not he's not a rubbish driver, as some people suggest. There's ability there, but he's just struggled to string it together and qualify well. And yeah, I, I can see him going. I can always see him going either way this year in terms of his performances. It could all click, or it could just not not go anywhere. What do you make of him? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think Sergio Perez, yeah, he, you know, he's very stable as far as what he's, what he, how he's going about his business. Um, he had that opportunity with McLaren, obviously, a few years ago now, um, and that was his big shot. I think, you know, after a little while, he might get a little bit fed up with actually not having any doors opening at all for him. You know, he's stuck where he is now. Uh, he's happy enough where he is now, but he's stuck there. It is, you know, a midfield to what you might call a good midfield team. But, you know, all this moving around with, with again, McLaren, Renault, um, Ferrari, all that sort of stuff, you know, he's not got a mention in that sort of equation anywhere. 
So he has got he's in a position where he's he's stuck on it right now. Um, and it's a good that's a good measure for Lance Stroll to to go against because Perez for sure is pretty consistent. If the car is decent, he does a decent job. So as you, again, I believe that Stroll can do a good job. I don't know why he he, he doesn't a substantial amount of the time because at, on, at times he definitely can pull it out of the hat, and he needs to realise how that how that's happening. I, I don't know if he does or not because it's it's like anything else, you know. Um, I remember Ayrton Ayrton Senna telling Rubens once, you know, don't try to go faster around the corners where you think you're fast at. You know, try to go out faster around the corners where you think you're slower at. And whether he just tricks the lap as a blur, treats the lap as a blur, and just tries harder everywhere, um, that can be a very good reason for actually not improving. Because, you know, you you make a mistake where you were good last lap, and you you get it better where you were bad last lap on the next lap. So you just sort of patching in bit for bit. And if that's happening, somebody engineering-wise needs to pull them up and sort of say, right, okay, let's see about getting consistency. Be consistently slow all the whole lap and then try to be consistently a little bit quicker. But don't just have great corners and bad corners and they change every lap because that's very, very easily to lose yourself and yourself and your confidence because you never can get the lap time out of it because you're just trying too hard all the time. Sometimes you have to try a little bit less to go faster. So maybe that's what he needs. But yes, it's a big season for him. No excuses right now, to be honest. No excuses whatsoever. He has to match Sergio Perez or better him, or to be honest, he has to go. Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, that's the same position I take. Really, they can't afford to carry him indefinitely, and yeah, hopefully he gets it together because we we like to see the drivers delivering uh, at their best. Well, the final thing, let's just have your final predictions for the season. Now, we we have just put out a predictions video where we all put our predictions in, but I haven't I haven't actually seen the final version yet, so. Uh, I'm not sure what you've gone for. So I went for Hamilton and Mercedes to to win again, which is extremely boring of me. Uh, were you were you equally boring? Well, uh, Ed, no. It's just you just don't take risks. Now <laughs> I I went uh, for Verstappen and Red Bull because I think the time is right for them. I think the time is right for Verstappen. He's now you know got the maturity to not make some of the little errors that he did in the past by by overdoing it too often um but he's still got the raw speed for sure um and again i put mercedes down for the constructors because i don't see why not um it's it's going to be all down a little bit all down to to um alexander album whether he actually you know really raises rises to it i hope he does because i like him i hope he does because it'd be nice to see a, a good challenge for the constructors as well as the drivers um but it, it does depend on him a little bit um as to whether or not they're Constructors will get challenged. So I'm looking forward to a good battle between Lewis Hamilton and, and Verstappen, Verstappen for Drivers' Championship and Mercedes and, and um, Red Bull for Constructors. Well, that's the hope, isn't it? And ideally, maybe even some Ferraris in there as well. That would be the uh, that would be the dream. You know, it'd be great to see a Ferrari up there. With it. I mean, the more teams you can have, the better. The realism is that, you know, again, Ferrari seem to be able to shoot themselves in the foot too often. Um, well, they've learned by that. And the thing about Mercedes, you've got to remember, is it's it's not all it's not all you know glory there. It's, there's a lot of doom and gloom. You know, it's, um, there's changes taking place behind the scenes there that none of us really understand yet. So uh, we'll have to see how that all unfolds because egos can step into the way a huge amount whenever it comes to up that top end management trying to exert their muscle. 
Well, we've waited long enough to see exactly what happens in the season. Let's hope that this uh, this look ahead isn't uh, isn't a wasted preview like it was when uh, when everyone was looking ahead to the Australian Grand Prix. But we're all looking forward to it. Obviously, we'll have loads from Gary on the on the site during the weekend. We'll be looking out for upgrades, etc. And obviously, we'll be. Uh, uh, recording a podcast uh, with with Gary's thoughts on the big stories of the weekend, and I, I'm seeing you're quite you're you're raring to go, Gary. I'm raring to go. Yeah, I can't wait to see it because you know, just it's one of those sort of things we just don't know coming into this. It's such a different set of procedures going to take place, and it's just about who adapts best to it. And this big delay, you know, as you say, 100 days from when we should have gone racing to now, that definitely will have given people room to manoeuvre mentally a little bit about stuff. So, yeah, can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be a very different season, as I say. Plenty to listen to, so make sure you subscribe to this podcast and you'll be able to hear what Gary has to say and the rest of the team at the race from the Austrian Grand Prix. (laughs) 